Our scripture reading today is Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. And our message today is entitled, uh, The Book of Acts, All for Him. This is the word of the Lord. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him off and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. As we continue our series on the book of Acts, we are learning about how the church came into being. In Acts chapter 1 through 4, we get this grand picture of what God is doing. We saw that Jesus had died and resurrected, that he, in his resurrection, walked with his disciples, teaching them many things, but telling them, listen, wait. Wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon you to give you power to go and teach the things that I taught you. So Jesus goes up to heaven and the Spirit comes down. And they start speaking in different languages and different tongues. And the people around them who were from all over the world began to hear the gospel once again in their own native language. Everyone was confused. And, and Peter would, would go and preach and say, listen, these men, these men are not drunk. These men are preaching you the same gospel that Jesus preached to you, that you must repent. And that if you repent, you shall be saved. 
And as the people heard, many, many, many people repented and came to the Lord. And the Lord added to the church 3,000, 5,000 men, including women and children. Who knows how many actually came to the Lord so quickly. And the people themselves begin to to feel the Spirit working in them and, and feel God gathering His people together. Now we have to remember that this is also a time for, for the feast in the, in, the, in the Jewish calendar. And so people were coming from all over the world to worship God. But as they worshiped God, they would hear about this Jesus. And more people would come to hear about this Jesus. And at that point, there was only one church, the church in Jerusalem. Because that was the place where the gospel was heard. And as these people were coming, well, they needed to eat. They needed places to stay. And so the people seeing God doing the great work that he was doing, well, they would sell everything. And they would hold everything in common property. And the apostles would use the proceeds to help house and help feed all the people who came to Jerusalem to hear the gospel. It was an incredible time in God's history. I can imagine that we would do the same thing, same thing as well. If all of a sudden we had hundreds and hundreds of people coming to our church, we'd be like, we need to raise money. We need to feed people. We need to help people. Look at all these people coming to know Jesus. We are the people of God. We need to practice what God has taught us about love and hospitality to one another. Now, at this point in Acts chapter 1 through 4, we're all like on a, on a spiritual high. This is wonderful. This is beautiful. God is growing his church, and he's growing his church in a way that I, myself, and you yourselves can say, this is what God is all about. To see many, many people amassed together praising his name. This is what church is all about. People sharing their wares and sharing their wealth to help the church of Christ to grow. And then we get Acts chapter 5. And for many of us, we we stop at Acts chapter 5 and we ask ourselves the question, can we just skip these these 11 verses? This... Sounds like a a big downer. This is sort of like saying, look, everything is going well, but let me be the one who who pours salt on your wound. Or let me be the one who rains on your parade. But we learn afterwards in Acts chapter 5 as well, that even when they feared the Lord, and what had happened with Ananias and Sapphira, God still added to the church. And the church continued to grow. In fact, at the end of this reading, you see that this is the first time in the book of Acts that the word church is actually used. That God has called a people to himself to worship him and to serve him. 
But we need to understand this story of Ananias and Sapphira. We need to understand how this fits into God's plan to grow his church. For there must be a purpose for this, for God's people, for you and me to understand. A warning, perhaps, of how we may keep the church in line according to God's will and plan for his kingdom to grow in purity, for the gospel itself to be always the center, for the works of the church to always reflect the truth of what we have learned about the death, the resurrection of Christ himself. Now, let's not misunderstand. Even when God added to the number of, God added to this church, when 3,000, 5,000 men and, and the women in Tola and the children, when all these people came to know the Lord, it does not mean that all those people themselves were free of sin. It does not mean that there was not hypocrisy amongst those other people who were added to God's number. We know theologically, we know from Scripture, we know through the, the other letters uh, in the New Testament that there's always going to be indwelling sin. We know that no church is perfect. We ourselves know in our own lives that, that when we came to know Christ and as we continue to grow to know the Lord, we know that there's no sort of purity in us in the sense that we do not sin anymore. We all understand that there's still hypocrisy in all of our hearts. And so this passage isn't here to sort of beat over your head. Listen, you need to be pure. If you're not pure in all your motives, then there's something wrong with your faith. That's not the purpose of this passage. If it were, none of us here could stand. If it were, none of us here could bear the burden of being a disciple of Christ. So the pragmatics of this is not for us as individuals or for the church today to say, listen, we need to have a whole heart all the time before the Lord. But the lesson here is for us to have a reminder that within the body of Christ, that there is an ethic, a practice, a lifestyle a heart that must be consonant with the gospel that we have received. It's our faith and our works that must go together. And it's a warning to all of us that we ourselves need to make sure 
that what we believe actually works out to what we do. And that as we continue to grow in our faith, for us to rejoice both in what we believe, but also to rejoice in what we do. You see, Ananias and Sapphira had seen that other people were giving generously. They were giving from their, what they had. They would be selling their property for, for the sake of the church, for the sake of all these people coming to know the Lord. People need to be fed. People needed places to sleep. And Ananias and Sapphira decided that let's sort of join in on this, but let's do it halfway. Now, they sold their property, and they decided to keep some of it for themselves. And when they brought an offering before Peter, Peter who was filled with the Spirit who could peer into Ananias' heart, knew the hypocrisy that was there. That he was giving not out of a pure motive, not out of joy, not out of the Spirit. But he was giving in such a way to please himself and to please men. You see, the, the act itself is not what's it, questionable as well, but the most important thing about this passage is that Peter was able to see the motives of Ananias. And Ananias himself denied his motive. And God struck him dead. And then his wife came in three hours later. Same line of questioning. And again, Peter saw the hypocrisy. And she was struck dead as well. What God was trying to teach the people who lived there the, the church in that time was not so much about listen 90%, 100% of what you give we'll get to that a little bit later but it's more about where was your heart when you gave to the Lord God will not stand hypocrisy in his church God will not stand people who say they know the Lord, but their heart reveals something else very different. That they are doing things in, in the, for, the, for the praise of men and not doing things for the glory of God and for the joy of serving God himself. And in this particular time, the measure was all or nothing. And Peter was able to discern 
that this man and this woman did not give with a heart that belonged to the gospel of God. You see, the church of God, any church, it's, it's never about how much money we can raise. It's never about how big of arena that we can have. It's not about what color chairs we, we can procure. It's about the heart of people and how they give. That they give with a heart with the gospel in mind. That they give generously according to how the gospel has changed them. That they give joyfully in a way that all men and all women can see that they're not giving out of compulsion. They're not giving because someone's twisting their arm. They're giving because they see the gospel at work. You know, whenever I talk to sort of the immigrant generation, and if you have grown up in a Korean church or even a Chinese church or a Hispanic church or just any sort of immigrant first-generation church, you will see that they are some of the most generous people. And they're generous in many ways. Some of it is because they know the Lord, but a lot of it is because they want a place to call home. They want their own building. They, they want somewhere where they can stay and, and, and build around. And when I look at that generation, it's like they're so generous. They give so much. And then they will ask me and they'll ask other pastors like me who are serving more of the second generation people. And they'll say to me something like, why is it the second generation as generous? Why don't they give as much? And my answer is very simple. It's because this generation lives on principle. That's, that's your generation. You ask why all the time. And that's not a bad thing. If you believe in something, you will put your time and energy into it. The immigrant generation, they're trying to survive. They will just put their resources where they can just so they can build something. You have established yourself in this society. But I always tell them this. When this generation knows the gospel, they know the gospel deeply. You will see that this generation will give more generously because of the gospel than the immigrant gener generation who feels obliged to give always 10%. And they looked at me and just laughed. <laughs> 
But this is what Paul, or what Peter is observing. I know Ananias, Sapphira, it's, I, whatever you give, it's not about that. God doesn't need that. God needs your heart. The more you get to know the gospel and more you see the gospel at work, then the more generous your heart becomes towards others. And the more your heart becomes generous towards that which grows the gospel, the more joy we have in giving. You see, in First Timothy chapter 5, we, we see later on that as, he, as Paul addresses those who are wealthy in the church, he doesn't say to the wealthy in the church, give everything you have, sell everything you have, and give it to the church. He doesn't say that. In fact, as we, you read the letters of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, you'll see that, that God addresses those who have wealth and, and, and those who are a little bit more, uh, have a little bit less, have less in their lives. And he addresses them always differently. But he never tells everyone, everyone sell what you have and let the pastor, let the leadership decide how to disperse of it. The book of Acts is a special time. This is all or nothing at this time. But the church of Christ today, it's, it's different, but the principle is still the same. One, you need to know the Lord in order to give generously. And number two, what you do have, think deeply about how you can give in such a way that helps to build the church of Christ in such a way that brings all of us joy and brings praise to God himself. This isn't a message, brothers and sisters, about I want you to give X amount of dollars to CCPC. God will either bless CCPC or not according to his plan. It's okay. Because in the end, whatever happens to anyone here, my, my 401k is pretty good because all of eternity I'll be with Christ and have the wealth. But it's to God's glory. that all of us think about building this home together for the sake of the gospel. We see the book of Haggai, that there's a, there's a warning. It's after the, 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 the people of Israel are in exile, they, they return back. And as they return back, uh, they're happy. They're back in Israel again. And they start using all their wealth to build up their homes, to build up their vineyards, to, to build up their homestead, to build up, as, as people call it today, their forever home. You know, they, they, they're just building all that up. And, and the prophet Haggai says to them, how is it that you're, you're using all your wealth to build up your home 
Yet the temple of God still remains in ruins. The call for us in the gospel is that we we know that our home is in heaven. We know that we have been given much. It is for us to give according to our knowledge and according to the convictions that the Lord has placed in our hearts. And wherever we are, whether we're still at CCPC or somewhere else, we give according to our understanding of the gospel and the joy we have in that same gospel. Ananias and Sapphira is a story for all of us to understand that we must always keep our hearts in check. It is a gospel that keeps growing our church. The works that flow out of that must be because the gospel dwells in our hearts. It's our love of Jesus that allows the fruits to bear. So any time, like here in the book of Acts, you see a church grow quickly. Perhaps in your own individual life, you see your own faith grow so quickly. In a sense, pump the brakes. Check your heart. Check our church's heart. No need to look at the bank account. No need to look at the numbers. Stop, do a heart check. Is the Lord being glorified in my life? Is the Lord being glorified in this church? It's a sobering reminder to all of us the huge fanfare that comes with the gospel that there can be some counterfeit but to come back to the gospel itself will always bring life brothers and sisters Christ has come into this world to save you and even though indwelling sin is always a part of us And even though there are times that we know that we are being hypocrites in many ways, God is still gracious and merciful. Ananias and Sapphira, as far as I can see, did not know God. That was revealed to Peter. I can't see your hearts. But I will say this. You know your relationship with the Lord. If you know the Lord, God will forgive you. If you know the Lord, he will draw you back. If you know the Lord, you will grow in your love for the church, your love for one another. 
Praise be to God. What a warning to all of us as well. If we don't see ourselves grow in our love for the Lord, if we don't see our generosity in our hearts expand for other people, same remedy. Go to the cross. Ask the Lord for his forgiveness and ask the Lord for his power. For surely, surely, he will not turn away from those who draw near to him. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we know, Lord, that teachings like this are, are difficult for many of us. Uh, many of us here in this room, we do not like to give bad news. We do not like to discipline. Many of us simply run away from things like that. Our world teaches us that, Lord God. No confrontation. Just let people be the way they want to be. Even in their faith, let them be the way they want to be. But for, Lord, your kingdom is not like that. When you, Jesus, say that I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Lord, that is a hard line that you have painted in the sand. When you say to us that faith without works is dead, that is another hard line in the sand. And Lord, you've taught us, Lord, that through Ananias and Sapphira and through the incredible knowledge that you gave Peter, that those who do not know you, well, there's a line in that sand. And so, Lord, help us, Lord, always, Lord, not to, not to water down the good news of Jesus, but to stand firm in it, and that we may share it to all others. And help us as your people, Lord God, to grow in our fruit as well, to love people, to have patience with people, to be generous with people. And Lord, for many of us, our, our, our bandwidth is very small at this point. We need your help, Lord God. Show us why our bandwidths are so small. And help us, Lord God, to enlarge our tents that we may love more widely and more deeply as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen.